We are at Job 25. If you want to be turning to Job 25. And this is the last of Job's friends to speak. Uh, his name is Bildad. Uh, I guess in chapter 32 we hear from a guy named Elihu. Uh, but his three friends, Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad, uh, Eliphaz has spoke three times, and Zophar has spoken twice, and now Bildad will get his third time. And this chapter is only six verses, but they're pretty profound. And uh, I don't know if, if any of you have ever been to a, uh, a courtroom setting uh, to where, you know, a lot of times lawyers will give, you know, after they present their evidence and they, you know, go back and forth, they always have a closing argument. And so I kind of look at Bildad here. This is, this is kind of his closing argument. And he does say kind of some undisputed things and facts. Uh, <clears throat> that uh, are true, and and so, uh, Emma, would you just read all six of those for us, if you would? Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He make a peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies, and of whom doth not his light arise? How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be seen that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the many, and that sign of God, yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a part of the Son of Man which is a woman? Amen. Thank you, uh, brother. So this is Bildad's closing argument, and uh, he goes a little introduction there. But in verse two, he talks about dominion and fear with him, I mean, uh, and he maketh peace, peace in high places. You know, those, that's kind of undisputable. Yeah, yeah, God. Uh, uh, and I, I put on your handout just, and I, I've used this word before. I don't know if. Uh, <clears throat> The word is sovereign. God is sovereign. He does have dominion over all. And I don't I don't have a good uh, definition in front of me. See, I left you a, bl- a blank on your handout if you want to write that in. But uh, <clears throat> I gave you a couple cross but I don't know about you guys, but it does it does help me to come to church and just hear the word of God cuz it it kind of takes me away from my problems and my situation you know what i mean it just lifts you above the here and the now and uh and some of my best some of the best sermons i've heard are are ones that just kind of are very worshipful. And so I really like it that Bill Dad says this, uh, dominion and fear are with him. And I gave you a cross-reference from Jude, and I'll just read that. Jude's last verse says, To the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And uh, so that's why we say God is sovereign because He has dominion over all. He's He's all powerful, and uh, and yet He 
condescends to us and He loves us. And So anyway, I, I just like that. Uh, and then it says that He makes peace in, in high places. You know, uh, that, that that's more of... Uh, of our enemy, you know, there's we we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and uh, wickedness in high places. Remember that. So when I when I hear that high places, he he's able to make peace. He's able to defeat our enemies, isn't he? And uh, you, you even think of him when uh, Satan was lifted up with pride as Lucifer. Uh, he was cast down to the pit. So God made he he dethroned Lucifer and he he made peace in high places. So I. I really like those uh, that verse two there, and it says, uh, "Is there any number of his armies?" And what do you think of when you think of that? Is there any number to his armies? And you almost think of angels, maybe, or angelic, the host of heaven, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there's actually, uh, you know, we get raptured up to be with him, and he comes back to earth with his armies. It says, uh, Revelation 19, at the return of Christ, he returns with his armies, and so he's got. Uh, we're part of that, aren't we? We're supposed to have people come to. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. To bring people into uh, the kingdom of God and. I wrote a little devotion a few years ago. If you don't mind, I'm going to read it to you. Do you care if I read it to you? All right, this has got a lot of... Uh, uh, I call it the host of heaven. I don't know if you can see that. Um, but in Nehemiah it says, Thou, even thou art Lord alone, thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host." The earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, the host of heaven worshipeth thee. And so I wrote that uh, many great truths have been perverted and hidden by the world, and in doing so have robbed God's people of great blessings. One such perversion is seen by examining the phrase host of heaven in the Bible. This phrase has two definitions, one worldly, one heavenly, but both have one central doctrine, the host of heaven worships God. Worships God. The first definition is that... the that of stars and other heavenly bodies. In Second Kings, it talks about the idolatrous practice of worshiping the host of heaven. It says, "...them also that burn incense unto Baal, to the sun, and to the moon, and to the planets, and to all the host of heaven." So we think of astrology and people that worship the stars. <clears throat> the second definition is that of God's angelic host, like that is written in Second Chronicles, which says, Again he said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. <clears throat> Uh, so although the word host is often used to describe an army in a wartime context, it can also be used to describe a servant, such as we use the word uh, host or hostess. 
so to understand these phrases as an army of servants that abide in heaven worshiping God that makes sense and that's kind of what Suzanne was getting at now consider how the celestial bodies the host of heaven in the second heaven which is outer space pictures for us the spiritual bodies uh, that exist in the third heaven Jeremiah 33 alludes uh, I'm having trouble reading sorry uh, alludes to both groups as the host of heaven cannot be numbered neither the sand of the sea measured so will I multiply the seed of David my servant and the Levites that minister unto me uh, Luke uh, two demonstrates the angelic host and their role at the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It says, and suddenly there was an there was with the angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and worshiping, saying, "Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men." So man's tendency has been to worship both angels in religion and the stars through astrology, even though the Bible condemns both. The great truth that I marvel at is that uh, both of these heavenly hosts model for us the role of saints in eternity. One such Bible reference is found in Daniel 12. It says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, that they may turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Another such promise is found in 1 Corinthians 15 in reference to our resurrected bodies. It says, There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. So brethren, how exciting to consider our role in the increase of his government which shall have no end. Uh, Isaiah 9 says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. However, right now we need to cease from desiring to be a star in the eyes of man, but rather work toward the day when we will be as the angels of God in heaven. Friend, you before you can be a host or hostess or a servant in the Lord's army, you must have the Holy Ghost. Uh, ghost is G-H-O-S-T. So G-Host uh, abiding in you through repentance and accepting Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And... Uh, Anyway, that's a little bit, uh, it's just a neat study to, to think about all that and the armies of heaven and the, the heavenly host. And so, uh, any, any thoughts or anything else about that? That's about his number of his army, yeah. I don't know where it says that. But it says that we'll do, uh, greater things than the angels did. And like, Trying to grasp that concept for me. Yeah. I'm like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, how can that be? But. Yeah. What is it? Well, uh, yeah, I, I don't know specific. There may be more than one answer, but uh, Christ did say that uh, his disciples would do greater works than these. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I've heard just some teaching done on, you know, Galatians uh, 4, I believe it is, is where it says that uh, that Christ was, it says, when the fullness of time was come, uh, Christ was born of a woman. 
And uh, I've heard people talk about how everything was set up perfectly for Christ's first coming. Uh, you know, with the Roman Empire and, and the kind of a Greek was kind of the universal language of that day, and there was a lot of things that uh, kind of uh, you know all, it says all roads lead to Rome. The Romans had a you know a wonderful uh, network of roads. It helped propagate the gospel at his first coming, and so uh, you know now you know we have all this modern technology, and there there, there are some. I mean, you know, right now we're we're live streaming this class. I mean, we could reach a lot of people through things like that. That Christ, I mean, that's kind of a greater thing that He was able to do, even though He could speak to, you know, He He fed the five thousand. He He could. Uh, so there are a few things like that that uh, make the day and age we live able to do some things that maybe were greater. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a good good thought, Nicole. <clears throat> well, he goes into this at the end of verse uh, three uh, about the light arise, and so uh, do, you know in John chapter one it says that Christ was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world, and so I, I think of that when I <clears throat> you think of. You know, we're having a mission conference. There's places in the world that haven't heard the name of Christ, and, and I believe that's true, but the Bible is true that He He lights every man that cometh into the world. So somehow people have an opportunity to respond to that light, uh, whether they've had a missionary or pastor come to them or not. There's kind of the, uh, a light in each person. Uh, then verse 4 now this is a good question how can a man be justified which uh, be justified with God and kind of the answer in an Old Testament setting he really could not be but uh, Pam would you look up that verse I have there it's the Romans 3.26 and uh, I'll look that up with you but Romans 3.26 in the New Testament it shows us how we can be justified and when you think of justify, what do you think of? How would you define that? Correct. correct. Okay. Yeah. How could you be correct? Let's look at Romans three twenty six. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Yeah, so so Pam, how how would how do you be how does that say you need to be just with Jesus? Faith. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you believe <clears throat> so you can be made correct, you can be in good standing. And uh I, I don't know if you ever if you ever saw this before ah, 
can't spell. It's just get a little bit of a play on the word justify. It's just as if I'd never sinned. So that's how you can be made correct with the Lord. So that that's what. Uh, so how can a man be justified with God? And so this is Bill Dad's defense. He he's basically calling Job out that you know you can't be right with God. And it even goes on how or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? I'm wondering why he said the heavens are not clean. How could he know that like that? Right, right. That's why I think they they had some information that uh, exceeded their time, isn't it? There was some wisdom there. He he says that, and uh, in verse five, is that what you're referencing? Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not; the stars are not pure in his sight. Uh, I found that kind of confusing. Uh-huh. Aren't, the, aren't the stars a reference also to angels? Uh-huh. Stars are references of angels, mm-hmm. the fallen angels. Yep. You know? Yep. So it's like high places, like you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. But it does say moon. Yeah. Yeah, it's saying. Uh, uh, he, he's, he's looking at he's looking at Job. He's like, you know, even look at the moon. It, it doesn't uh, have any light of its own. It shineth not. So he's giving uh, some good scientific reference there. That uh, you know, only you know, it was. I don't know when Galileo lived, but you know, some of those guys started studying these things and seeing patterns and uh, seeing that the moon didn't have any light of its own but yeah so Bildad was way ahead of his time and I, I don't know if, if he was just looking at how the moon was pitted or things like that I don't know what made him <clears throat> think it was not clean but <clears throat> it, it doesn't say that the moon wasn't clean it just says it doesn't shine it didn't have any light of its own <clears throat> but uh, the stars are not pure that's what Pat was saying and that uh, just like we talk about the heavenly hosts, even though we see the the, the stars and the moon, the uh, the moon is called the lesser light in 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 Genesis one sixteen. And God made two great lights: the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. <clears throat> and so, uh, I wrote a devotion on this too, but I won't I won't read that all to you. But uh, one of the verses I do have is this place in Job that the moon it shineth not uh, but we, we we believe that the moon is kind of a picture of the church that uh the moon is a physical picture of the spiritual church. The moon has no light of its own, but it works with the sun to reflect light onto the earth. So we are to reflect God's light, uh, which Jesus is the light of the world. We're to reflect Christ to the world. And although the moon is far off, it has gravitational forces that affect and govern or rule the earth's oceans, tides. And I, I think uh, I've seen. I think if the moon was just 400 miles closer, I think it's like 90, 
no, it's 290-some thousand miles away, but if it was just 400 miles closer, the tides would cover the surface of the earth twice a day. And if it was further away, uh, somehow that affected... So even the distance the moon is from the earth, within 400 miles either way, life couldn't exist on planet earth so same way with the sun and the same way with the sun if it was so much closer we'd burn up it's in that perfect place they call it the goldilocks zone yeah, yeah. if it was further away we'd yeah. be a perpetual ice age or something um, anyways so we're called to be separate from the world but we still have an influence on it And as the moon is exalted above the earth, so God wants to exalt His people. The sun in the Bible always refers is referred to as a male, yet the moon is always referred to as a female, showing our need to be submitted to Him uh, and to have the lesser role. Like ourselves, the moon alone is cold, it's dead, it's rocky, it's pitted, yet because of the sun, we can be made useful and appear clean and white having our flaws masked by the light of the sun. The moon is locked in phase with its orbit so that the same side is always facing the earth, thus having a dark side so Christians always have a part of their lives that the world sees and part of the part of the moon only God can see. So anyway, it's just kind of some neat stuff about the moon, isn't it? <clears throat> I love that. Um, Anyway, <clears throat> yeah, it is, and they say that the sun kind of emits three different kind of rays, like heat ray, heat rays, ultraviolet, and uh, and gamma rays, I think, and so it kind of typifies the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's kind of three types, and so anything the the way you. Uh, study some of this out is just really amazing and then this last verse that Emmett read and we'll finish up 25 here how much less man that is a worm and the son of man which is a worm and uh, this probably seems like an overshare but we're we're all adults here but uh you know, they, they say, uh, you've probably seen a picture that uh, sperm looks like a worm. Thousands or millions of worms. And so man kind of begins as a worm. And uh, my teaching point here is just that although science shows that man begins as a worm, like with sperm, the uh, Bible teaches that man will end as a worm unless he gets saved. And that is, you know, in hell is a place where the worm dieth not, right? So uh, I guess I missed a place for your blank. I had moon. And then uh, just the word saved. So... uh, Erase some of that. So that's kind of chapter 25. I know there's a lot there. These guys are... uh, Brilliant, brilliant uh, speakers, and put. Um, 
But anyway, chapter 26 I really like because right right off the bat here he he gives a definition of counsel. But look at chapter 27 real briefly if you would. Uh, turn over to Job 27.1. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said... So uh, I want you to see the first part of 26. Job is kind of speaking in a parable. And I gave you just kind of some information... You know, a lot of times parable, God tries to communicate something that we know by talking about something, uh, or He wants to communicate something we don't know by talking about something we do know. And, uh, you know, as parents, we might have to talk with our kids about the birds and the bees. Well, we're not talking about birds and the bees, but that's the illustration of how there becomes more birds and more bees, I guess. <clears throat> so, a parable is like placing one thing alongside of another or comparing a comparison of one thing with another. Uh, it's a likeness or similitude, an example by which a doctrine or a precept is illustrated. And a lot of people kind of make fun of this definition right here, but I like it. Uh, as long as you add the reason for it, but uh, some people call a parable a heavenly truth veiled in an earthly story or an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And so I do think that that is accurate as a definition, but it doesn't maybe explain the reason why. And uh, at least a couple of times in the Bible, parables are called dark sayings. So Job is getting ready to communicate some dark sayings, some uh, uh, heavenly truths veiled in, he- in earthly stories. But now I give you kind of a reason for parables. And I hope you don't think this is controversial, but I think we can show it from the Bible. But uh, parables hide truths from religious non-believers. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Because, you know, when Jesus began to speak in, to parables, the religious people didn't get it. Uh, um, but he was teaching his disciples. So it'd be like me telling all you guys something, but only Angie and I are privy to what I'm really talking about. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, you might have a... It's almost in a code form. So that that was my second point there. He gives truth to disciples in code form. And Jesus' purpose with parables was to give exact, specific, uh, doctrinal truth to His disciples while hiding it from those who rejected Him. So I put the word doctrinal. And so those kingdom of heaven... Parables. Uh, I'm teaching the book of Matthew in my uh, HBI class on s- Saturday mornings, and we just got done going through Matthew 13. But does any of you know what happens in Matthew 12? Uh, it's it's where they commit blasphemy. Do you remember what that was? It was like the unpardonable sin. They 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 said that Jesus was casting out demons by the well. He was on the Sabbath day, but the blasphemy was that they said you're doing this miracle through the power of Beelzebub. You're and he's like, no, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And he, yeah. 
And he's like, every sin committed can be forgiven, but if you blaspheme against the Holy Ghost, that will not be forgiven. So he was performing this miracle by the power of the Holy Ghost, and they're saying, you're doing it by the power of the devil. And you know what? In the very next chapter, chapter 13, it says, he went out of the house, and he began to speak to them in parables. And he says, so that seeing you see not, by hearing you hear not, and rather less... At any time, your heart be right and you become converted. He's like, it's a matter of the heart because I'm now going to talk to my disciples in code form and you're going to hear it, but you're not going to understand it. And you're going to see some things, but you're not going to understand. And it's really a powerful thing. And I think this kind of happens with Job's... This is kind of another way that Job is like the Lord, isn't it? He's speaking to his friends in parables because they think he's got some hidden sin in his life and they're accusing him of being a hypocrite and the reason that your children died, the reason you lost all your possession is you got some hidden sin and he's like, no, that that can't be. I have not. So anyway, parables are kind of a wild thing. So, and then he asked these uh, six questions. Uh, <clears throat> let's see, uh, Belinda, would you just read verses one through four of chapter twenty-six? But Job answered and said, "How hast thou helped him that is without power? How savest thou the arm that has no strength?" How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? How hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? To whom hast thou uttered words, and whose spirit came from thee? Yeah, thank you. So there's these six questions there. You know, have you, how have you helped people without any power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? And then he says, How hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? And in verse three, I believe, I believe verse three is the biblical definition of counseling. And uh, the answer is. Uh, to plentifully dis- declare the thing as it is. If, if you have a gift of counseling, you're able to declare something as it is, and you do it plentifully. You might have to look at it from a different, different angles, but, uh, you know, people having a marriage trouble, you know, you, you do some probing and you, you try to attack, you know, you know, the, the, you try to touch on those things that, uh, are, are wrong or, uh, unbiblical. And I put it on my, on the second page of your handout, just the goal of counseling is change. Uh, you know, that, that's one thing I look for in our recovery group is, are people making some type of progress? Are you, are you going forward in your life? Are you taking whatever that next right step is? Uh, because you're hearing uh, counseling from the Word of God in our big group. Uh, there's not really uh, counseling so much in small groups as just to love and support others. But uh, we, we want to bring about change uh, to the extent that we become more like Christ. Amen? And uh, it, it takes us... Anyway, you know, this morning at 10.30, we're going to hear counseling from the pulpit. 
That's what we're going to hear. We're going to hear preaching, but it's going to be God's counsel, and God's trying to bring about change in each of our lives. And I gave you, there's really two forms of counseling. There's counseling to the lost. We call that evangelism. And we counsel the saved. We call that discipleship. So we want the lost to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. We want the saved to be more conformed to the image of Christ. So in a way, we're doing that right now, aren't we? We're, we're, we're learning the Word of God. We're hearing what men of God have said and uh, God has preserved for us in our Bibles. And then he says, he's asked these last two questions in verse 4. To whom hast thou uttered words? And then he says, And whose spirit came from thee? And I gave you an example. Uh, there's really three different spirits in the Bible. There's man's spirits, and there's God's spirits, and then there's demonic or unclean spirits. Uh, somebody look up that First John. Uh, Suzanne, would you do that, the First John 4? And I'm going to look up another place. There's something I'm thinking as I'm reading this. First uh, John four one, if you would. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are they are of God. Because many false prophets are not gone out of this world. Yeah. So it says to try the spirits, and and that that's what the question was in in Job twenty six. Uh, whose spirit came from thee? Uh, question mark. But even of the uh, demonic or unclean spirits, there's there's a spirit of je- jealousy. So the, the Bible records kind of the names of some of these. There's a a spirit of divination. There's a spirit of infirmity. There's a spirit of whoredoms. There's a perverse spirit. There's a spirit of deep sleep. There's a spirit of the world. There's a spirit of Egypt. There's a haughty spirit. There's a spirit of bondage. There's a spirit of. Uh, there's a lying spirit. There's familiar spirits, unclean spirits, evil spirits, wicked spirits, seducing spirits. And then uh, on the Holy Ghost side, there's the spirit of wisdom. There's a spirit of revelation, spirit of holiness, spirit of judgment, spirit of uh, grace, and the spirit of supplication. So anyway, uh, I just wrote some of those in my Bible as. Uh, and you know, when Jesus first cast out an unclean spirit, it was in a synagogue. You know, we, we think of the spirit as that's at the liquor store, that's at the the nightclub, that's at you know whatever wicked establishment you might think of. But no, it, it was in the church, it was in the synagogue. Christ cast out the unclean spirit uh, in the synagogue in uh, Mark chapter one. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, Job, my teaching point there was, you know, how would you answer these questions if Jesus asked you these questions at the judgment seat of Christ? Uh, how how have you done these things? <clears throat> and uh, Pat and I uh, know, uh, and Angie knows, uh, a man named Bob Alexander, and he preaches a message uh, about these six questions. What if Christ asked these at the judgment seat of Christ? And I don't remember him uh, spe- preaching that sermon, but uh, anyway, I'm reading the book I'm reading about from Jeff Adams. He he wrote that in the book that Bob and I do remember something like that. I don't remember what he said, but kind of interesting thought, isn't it? kind of probing thought. What if we were asked these questions? <clears throat> All right, so the last section of this book 
this chapter uh, back in Job 26. Uh, Nicole, would you like to read today? Do you mind? Let's read verses uh, 5 through 7. The dead tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Sheol is mixed before God and abatted as no covering. He stretches out the north over the void and hangs the earth on nothing. All right. Yeah, that uh, Abaddon, that's translated destruction. So that's that's cool. You brought that up. Uh, So it it talks about these dead things that are are inhabiting under the water. So uh, I gave you a verse from Proverbs there that talks about the congregation of the dead. And uh, one of the things we uh, teach and believe is that hell is in the center of the earth. It's under the waters. And that's where people go who are dead in their trespasses and sins. And then there's verses that talks about God bringing His people up out of the waters. Sometimes peoples are like waters and He calls His people out of waters. But uh, if you can find the book of Jonah, let's look at Jonah. I think we got time. Jonah chapter 2. Because... Uh, Jonah is a really interesting study because uh, he was uh, sent to uh, Nineveh to uh, the Gentile people at Nineveh that were heathen and and uh, he rejected going and and then God prepared a a whale a great fish to swallow him. And so Jonah chapter 2 is recorded of what happened when Jonah was in the belly of the whale. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. All right. And I'll just read these first six verses for you, if you don't mind. Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell. So it says, it says he's in the fish's belly, but he's also in hell. Cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods can pass me about. So he was like under these waters. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters can pass me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. And... most, I mean, you can probably argue this, but most people believe that, that Jonah actually did uh, die. I mean, there's been some, uh, uh, there's actually been people who have uh, been swallowed by a, a whale and have lived. 
and uh, so some people argue that that it's possible but uh, you know Jesus said that uh, the sign of Jonah he says as Jonah Jonas was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights so the son of man shall be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights and so uh, we believe that Christ died and was buried and of course he rose again after three days and I think Jonah typified that that he did die he was in the whale's belly and it says he, he, he was in hell he he uh, had some <clears throat> so he he was part of that dead things under the waters and yet uh, he believed he looked toward heaven the temple holy temple and uh, he he rose again and he was vomited up and rose again and went and preached to Nineveh so and uh, the Ninevites they they repented I mean he <clears throat> some people say that uh, you know, just the gastric acids in the whale's belly probably bleached his skin, so he may have been white as a ghost, and uh, you know, uh, preach. So, and I'm sure he had a fervent message for the people of Nineveh, having just experienced what he did. <clears throat> so, anyway, there's uh, any any other thoughts about that as I'm rambling? It's interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they were God's enemies. He did, or they, you know, he was a Jew, and so he didn't want him to repent. They, no. these are their enemies, like his parents, huh? They killed his parents. They killed oh, really? Oh. I don't think I knew that. Interesting. Could you go preach to someone who killed your family? Yeah, yeah, that'd be tough. That'd be tough. Well, there, there was a story about that where these guys went down to the, this was it, Aka Indians? Who, yeah. To preach, and they all got killed, and one of them's wife. Jimmy Harrison Carter? No. Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, yeah. Elliot. Ah, okay, okay, yeah. So it, it does happen. In yeah, time. yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Well, they were cannibals, weren't they? That they yeah. were trying maybe. to win uh, Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, look up, uh, Pat, would you look up that uh, Hebrews 4.13 for us? <clears throat> if you look up Hebrews 4.13, uh, the rest of us be back to Job 26. It says in verse 6 that hell is naked before him and destruction hath no covering. And uh, I just put the word uh, naked there in your handout. And uh, Pat's going to read from Hebrews 4.13 if you would. It says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Yeah, that's just wild. And that's right after the verse talking about the Word of God. It's a discerner of the heart, uh, the thoughts and intents of our heart. And it says, you know, all things are naked and open to Him with whom we have to do. And here it says that hell is naked before Him. So God sees and uh, destruction has no covering. So God, God knows 
you know, the light and the dark is the same to him. So anyway, these are just great truths. These are great parables that Job is speaking here. And uh, then it says, He stretches out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. That's a pretty wonderful statement right there, isn't it? Very scientific. Yeah, the earth is hanging on nothing. And uh, I'm going to try to draw the earth in as good a circle as I can. Oh, my pen let up or I would have had it. But uh, we know that the earth is uh, spinning about a thousand miles an hour. Every 24 hours it turns and it's it's about 24,000 miles around so a thousand miles an hour it goes around once in a daytime but it's got a little bit of of a wobble to it. Uh... I think you know that. Uh, you know, it's not uh, perfectly. <clears throat> it's got a. And uh, scientists have noticed it, that if you extend out this kind of this wobble, you know, for hundreds and thousands of miles, it, it's right beside the North Star. We we think of because it, it says right there that that. He stretches out the north over the empty place. But, you know, scientists can see right beside the north star, it, it's, it's just very dark. It's kind of an empty place. And so the, the Bible is true in this regard as well that, uh, that, uh, you know, the Polaris, the north star, uh, you know, has you know it's slightly off of directly north but right beside the star is this empty place so just just kind of some neat things about uh, astronomy not astrology but astronomy uh, the law of the stars <clears throat> and uh, the earth is hanging upon nothing it's this uh, sphere that's just strategically placed for for life and uh, then he, uh, read verses 8 through 10. Uh, Sarah, do you want to read today? 20, Job 26, uh, 8 through 10. He bindeth up the waters in his thick cloud, and the cloud is not right under them. He hold back the face of his throne and spread spread his cloud upon it. Till when, I'm sorry. Uh, through 10. Okay. He hath compassed the waters with bounds until the day and night come to an end. Yeah, thank you. We we looked at that earlier about uh, his th- his throne being in the in the clouds, and uh, I, I like this example. Mo- most of you, uh, most of us know probably that in the tabernacle or the temple, there was a veil that kind of divided the holy place from the most holy place and remember that the throne of God was was he in in the most holy place uh, the mercy seat and so the the thing that was I was reading is just that uh, just as God had that veil in the temple to 
you know, conceal his mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, so in the heavens, God has kind of concealed his throne with clouds. And he's, he's, it's really, uh, the next time you're out just looking up and you see clouds, you think of that. And it said that in several places in Isaiah. It said it earlier in Job 22. And in verse 11, that, uh, let's see, Pat, would you read 11? Uh, yeah. The pillars of heaven tremble and are not astonished at his reproof. Yeah. Now, that says that the heaven has pillars. So that's pretty wild, isn't it? And, uh, Angie, would you look up Proverbs 9 for me? Uh, and the rest of us go back to Job 9. Uh, Angie's going to look up Proverbs 9. And the rest of us, let's look at Job 9. I think Job 9 talks about some pillars too. Uh, I'm going to read Job 9 before you read yours, Angie. 9.6 of Job. It says, uh, Which shaketh the earth out of her place, and the pillars thereof tremble. So, Job 9.6 talks about the earth having pillars that were shaken and they tremble. And what does uh, Proverbs 9.1 say? Wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. So that talks about wisdom hath builded. I, I guess I think of heaven. Maybe that's talking about the earth's pillars. But it talks about wisdom hath hewn out her seven pillars. And what else did it say? You want me to read one again? Yeah. Uh, wisdom hath builded her house. She hath hewn out her seven pillars. So wisdom built a, a house. and So I think of that as... as uh, being, you know, New Jerusalem or heaven, uh, heaven. Anyway, just kind of some wild things to think about. Wisdom building her house and hewing out seven pillars to hold it up and the earth having pillars. So anyway, these are all wonderful things. God's throne is in a cloud. You know, hell is naked before him and there's, there's just a lot of, uh, very, Powerful words here. Uh, verse 12. We're back to you, Ammon, if you want to read 12. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smited through the proud. Yeah. Now, when you think of dividing waters, what do you think of? Yep. Yep. But. Well, it. So the Red Sea, what else? Jordan? Yeah, the Jordan River, yeah. They, so, uh, now think about this. You know, on planet Earth, there's, there's a, a lot of, of waters. But, uh, in, in Psalm, it talks about the deep answering to deep. And so, uh, but it also talked about waters being above the heavens. And so, uh, think about this that, uh, you know, you, you and I that are saved, 
really our first act of obedience is to be baptized in water, isn't it? And uh, but you, you know. Uh, we're going to read in Job 38 that uh, the deep is frozen. And so uh, we believe that you know God's heavenly cloud is veiled in these waters and these waters are frozen. That very well could be the crystal sea. So there, there's a deep here and there's a deep here. But, uh, you know, one of these days when Christ calls us to meet Him in the, in the air, in the clouds... We're going to meet him in a cloud. Uh, that uh, he's going to divide these waters, and he's going to let us come into heaven, isn't he? We're going to, we're going to go to heaven when we die. We believe that but to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So he's going to divide some water, and he's going to let us come to him. And I, anyway, I actually didn't write that in my notes. I'm just thinking of that as we're reading it here. That uh, it says uh, he divideth the sea with his power, and uh, by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. So he. Uh, <clears throat> Not only lets us into heaven, but you know, he killed Pharaoh and his armies. He drowned him in the sea, didn't he? The proud Pharaoh that's following him. I'm not going to let my people go, or God's people go. And so, God saves the proud and humbles, or He saves saves the humble and uh, and He smites the proud. That's what it just says there. Now, verse 13. Uh, Pam, do you want to read that for us? By his spirit it is garnished the heavens. His hand hath formed the crooked has formed the crooked serpent. Yeah. I just think that's a cool thing. If you've ever eaten at a fancy restaurant, they've got some garnishings there, don't they? It just your meal looks pretty. And it's like God garnished the heavens with his spirit. I don't know. That's just that probably means a lot more than I can even think of, but that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, Belinda, would you look up the Revelation 12 for us? We're almost out of time. I'm going to give everybody else these last two blanks here. Uh, I want you to look up Revelation 12.9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil... So that devil is the crooked serpent, isn't it? So God formed the crooked... The Bible never says that uh, Jesus was formed or created. He is God and He was... He's uh, infinite. He is uh, eternal. But God did form this crooked serpent uh, named Lucifer that became... but a couple of verses calls him Leviathan. We're, we're going to see him in, in Job 41 whenever we get there. Uh, we'll talk a little more about him. And then let's all, uh, <clears throat> let me, let me read verse 14. 14 says, Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? So, you know, we, we know very little of God, though we may come to church every week. Uh, Job and his friends 
turn, turn to Job 37, then we'll be done. <clears throat> Job 37. I want you to see this before we get there, but Job 37, verse 4 and 5. Verse uh, 4, 37. After it it, a voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency, and he will not stay them when his voice is heard. And verse 5 says, God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. And so God's voice is like thunder. We uh, most of us point to Psalm chapter forty-six and verse ten. It says uh, we need to listen for that still small voice. But there are times where God thunders with His voice. And uh, <clears throat> what is the saying? I think it's C.S. Lewis says uh, something like. God whispers in good times, but He shouts in suffering, or something like that. You know, we. So uh, anyway, any time I ever hear thunder, I just think that's God's voice. You know, in fact, uh, I'll share this, and then we'll be done. I think it's in John chapter twelve. <clears throat> you, I think it was. I don't think. Uh, I forget what the miracle was. But uh, God spoke, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And the Bible says, that's, I think it, no, no, well, He said that at baptism, but in John 12 it says it about something else. And it says that uh, God said that, and it says some people heard that, but others heard thunder. And I just think that's a wild, and I, I think that's what's going to happen at the rapture is we're going to hear, come up hither, and everybody else is going to hear thunder. Lightning. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let, let's hold up there. Pat, would you uh, close us in prayer, brother, and we'll sign off. Thank you for joining us on Facebook. Or no, yeah. Yeah, Life Issues is YouTube, but we're on Facebook here. So thank you for joining us. And Pat's going to pray. Lord, we thank you that um, we, can, we can come and... Uh, to be part of what you're doing in this uh, day and age and what you want to do in our lives. We just thank you so much that you care for us and 